We are continuing our series today on this idea of finding our soul purpose and understanding that we are just as much spiritual creatures as we are physical creatures. And we don't need to just worry about our physical body. We need to worry about our our spiritual nature as well and how we take care of it and how we grow it and and what does it need to expand and to, to become influential in our lives. And so we've been focusing this last few weeks on what it means to have security, to, to be loved. We're going to be talking about what it's like to be respected and significant. But today we're focusing on this idea, this longing, this deep primal need of our soul to be known. The idea that we want to be known. And that, that's just a deep thought in itself. And we could probably spend all of our time just talking about what it means to be known and I think we struggle even with that idea of being known. So let me tell you what that what it's not to begin with and then kind of how we're going to focus on that. To begin with, though, when I say what it means to be known, we're, we're not talking about fame. I'm not going to give you a lecture this morning on how to become famous. All right? And like, here's the three steps to become famous in our world. Famous when we're known about by a lot of people. When we're, you know, we... People know us, they, they know a name, maybe, you know, we can think of names that we say, I know this person because they're famous. I've never met them, but they're famous, I could say that I know them. That's not the kind of known we're talking about this morning. The second type of being known is not just being aware of somebody. There are people, if you looked around this room, there are people you probably are aware of. You probably even know their name. And you would say, hey, I know who that person is. But I really don't know them. Maybe you haven't built a depth of relationship yet. I mean, where this shows up every day, right, is in our Facebook friends, right? I mean, how many Facebook friends do you actually have that you... I mean, I have some I've never met personally before in my life. And so that we're just these, you know, I see that they had five mutual friends, so I guess they know me from something, so I'll accept them as a friend, and then they start posting ads about sunglasses on my wall, and I'm like, nope, that's spam, see ya. So, you know, we have that idea of awareness, and that's not what being known is. And so, what is this idea of being known that we're talking about? The first thing is this. It's this idea that we want to be valued. Is that we, we want to connect our lives with other people in such a way that there is value. And it's not necessarily that we want to, that our lives are valuable to us. We, we in our mind, we want our lives to be meaningful to the society in general. We, we want to be valuable to this world. We don't want to go through life thinking that I'm just the trash and everybody else has something to offer in this world, but I am worthless and useless. I have no value. We desire to be valued. We want to feel needed, desired, and missed if we're not around. We're just really at, when I was thinking about ideas, places I've felt this before, I remember one of the first real job interviews I went on. Like the tedious, I went through nature of like thinking through every word on my resume and how I was going to present myself and thinking through questions that I would get asked in an interview and the nervousness that I had walking into that interview of what are they going to say? Are they going to ask me a question? I don't know how to answer all these because I wanted them to see value in me. I wanted them to walk away and say, I want that person, I want that guy to be a part of this team. And that's part of being known, is that people know us well enough that they value us. But the second thing we want is that we want to belong. Not just be valued, but we want to belong. We want to connect our lives with others. And for those of us that believe that God created us, we want to connect our lives with God. And here's what it boils down to. 
We actually, here's what it means to belong. When people get to know the real us, and they don't run the opposite direction. Right? I mean, when like, they really see us mess up sometimes, they really see us like, for who we are, and they're like, that's okay, I still like you. You're still part of this group. I mean, that, that's what it means to belong. We have this desire to have this group of friends, these people that we do life with, no matter what happens. When you think about like these TV shows, especially many of these that are set in New York, like Friends and Seinfeld and How I Met Your Mother. I mean, this, like, isn't it amazing to like watch these shows and think about experiencing the city? We're like, we're just these five people going around doing life together every day. That's not how life is in this city. I mean, it'd be nice if it was, but that's what we strive for. That's what we long for, this idea to belong, to be known, to be valued, and to belong. And Isaiah 43 says this. It starts off, we're going to not be in this passage. I just wanted to share this verse because it's a great way that God just reminds us. This He says, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, He who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. So this idea, our longing to belong, our longing to be valued, comes from God. And God, at the very early parts of Scripture, says, you're mine. I know your name. I created you. I love you. You are known by me. So what I want us to do today is do like what we've done in the past few weeks. Is look at how Jesus approaches this. How does he deal with getting to know people, people that want to be known by him? And so we're going to look in Luke chapter 18. If you've got your Bibles or want to pull out your iPads or iPhones, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18, kind of on the back part. We're going to look at three encounters that Jesus had with people. These people that wanted to meet Jesus and become known by Jesus. And what did He do? How did He interact with them? We're going to see a couple of great examples and we're going to see one just massive fail of somebody who came to Jesus and wanted to be known for the wrong reason. So let's look in Luke chapter 18, verse 28 is where we'll start. This is the story of the rich ruler. And it says this, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the ruler said, All these I have kept since my youth. So I love the idea of this first encounter because this guy's coming and he knows Jesus. He's, he's a pretty prominent guy. This ruler is. He's a ruler in this, this region. And he's a religious guy. And he comes out to meet Jesus and here's what he, he's not really wanting to get to know Jesus. Here's what he's wanting. He's wanting Jesus to validate him. It's what he's really wanting. And he comes at him and he, he's, you know, he says, Hey, uh, Jesus, let me ask you this question. What must I do? He already knew the answer. This wasn't the first time. He's like setting himself up for a compliment, right? You ever know those kind of people? Like, oh, what did you think about this presentation I gave? I, I didn't feel too good about it. What did you, you know, they're like setting you, them up for them to, oh no, it was great. It was, that's exactly what this guy was doing. He was setting himself up to get a response from Jesus. And imagine what he's thinking. When Jesus says, you must keep the commandments, do this, 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 and this. And the guy goes, I've done all those since my youth. I imagine he's like, here it comes. Jesus is just about 
to give me a great recommendation. Like something I can put on a quote on my resumes. I'll list Jesus as a reference from here on out. And here's, you know, he's probably thinking Jesus is going to say, you know, you are the right. You're a great ruler. You're God's top ten list. You're one of the top rule keepers of all time. You're a man among boys when it comes to following the law. You know, that's what he's imagining Jesus is about to say. But Jesus had a way of cutting through the pretense and hitting the issue right on the nose. You know, if you, if you want to be known by God for eternity, He said there's one thing left. So let's pick the story back up in verse 22. When Jesus has heard this, He said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the ruler heard this, these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. That's not what he was expecting, was it? That's not, you're on God's top ten list. That's like, I tell you what, all those great, you've done some good things, but now I'm going to ask you to do something that really is going to cost you. Those things haven't cost you. If you really want to know, then set aside what's most important and make me most important in your life and follow me. Jesus didn't give him a pat on the back. Instead, he laid out a a pathway of almost this ridiculous and incredulous thing to do to follow him. Sell everything? Well, I'll sell some. Like I'll get sell sell everything. And this guy walked away, and we don't even know his name. He was probably prominent during day. We we don't even know his name. He just walked away from Jesus because in that moment, here's what he didn't understand. Here's here's the idea we have to grasp. We aren't known by God for our accolades, our accomplishments, but instead for our character. By our character. Jesus cut into this guy's heart. It doesn't mean that everyone in here has to sell everything we have, if that's what it means to follow Jesus. He cut to that guy's heart and that guy's character, and he said, let me tell you what's keeping you from following me. It is your desire to be prominent, for people to talk well of you, for you to be popular, to be prestigious. If you're not willing to give that up, you can't really be known by me because that's what you want to be known for. And there's a difference between being known for something and being known by someone. And that's what Jesus cut through. He said, I'm not worried about what you have or what you did. I'm worried about your character. Why did you do it? Why are you following the commandments? Are you following the commandments because you believe that's what's best for your life? Are you following the commandments to impress other people? So it's this idea, what keeps us from doing this? What was it in this man's life that kept him from following Jesus? I think it's the same thing many of us struggle with. It's this idea of our fear of intimacy. We, we, we like to be known by what we do than who we really are. We like to build up this character on the outside. We keep it safe and we present a good picture on the outside, but we don't let people and we don't let God know what we're really like on the inside. We're fearful of intimacy. And what happens is this. When we become fearful of intimacy, we start to isolate ourselves. We become people that are isolated. We become adept at creating personas that we think people want us to be, but we never go deep into real relationships with others because we're scared of what they might find or what they might think about us when they really get to know us. So if you want to be known, you have to embrace intimacy. You have to embrace this idea that you will let people in to your life. 
It was hard for that rich young ruler. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. Intimacy can be a scary thing. But if you ever want to have that fulfillment of being known, you have to embrace intimacy. There's a second encounter that we see uh, not far in Luke chapter 18, verse 35. If you jump down a little bit. The next encounter that we see Jesus have here is with a, with a blind beggar. And it says, as he, talking about Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. The second encounter that we see is someone wanting to know Jesus is someone who is down in their luck. Someone at this point in their life is completely dependent upon the grace and kindness and generosity of other people to survive. I mean, he's, he's out begging, which kind of gives you the picture that even his family had abandoned him at this point. Every day he would go out to beg to have enough of something to survive. Money, food, something. And his fate would have it on that day, Jesus was walking by. This Son of God, this Messiah, this excited crowd, he hears something going on and he says, what is this? And they tell him Jesus is coming. And in that moment, he had probably three options. Right? He's this blind, cast out of society. He could have said, Jesus, this magic, this amazing man, he doesn't want anything to do with me. He could shrink back, he could have hidden, he could have cleared out and went the other way. Or he could have maybe you know, tried to straighten himself up a little bit, tried to look normal, maybe even tried to stand up and blend into the crowd and just be like everybody else and wave and like just point me in the direction of Jesus and I'll wave. And maybe even Jesus would nod at him, not that he could see it, but he would be like, just like, and he would have this cool story of how this famous guy walked past him one day. I remember one time I went to a PGA Tour championship down in Florida, and I was like, from me to you guys, to Tiger Woods. Like he walked in front of me, and I'm like, that's pretty cool. Like I got pictures, and everything. I was like, I was 10 feet away from Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods didn't tell him that story this morning. He wasn't like, the other a few years ago, I was out of Florida. This guy, I remember his name. I didn't know him, but I walked past him. You know, it's like, that's not what Tiger's thinking. But, but he could have had this cool moment, like this story. I was around Jesus when he walked by this day. Or he could have did option three, which is what he did. He could be who he was and cry out for mercy. Maybe even make a fool of himself. Right? Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And that's what he chose to do. He chose to call out to Jesus. And everyone's reaction to him in the story is probably what our reaction would have been. Like, oh my gosh, why didn't somebody get rid of him before Jesus came? You know, shh, you know, go the other way. Jesus is over there. Like, oh, you know, try to shoo him out. And like, our idea is like, oh, he's going to embarrass our town when Jesus comes through. Like, he's going to think that's all we are. But his cry for mercy above all the other noises of that day, that got Jesus' attention. Jesus heard that cry for mercy and he stopped. Look at verse 40. And it said, Jesus stopped, and he commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, 
What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him, glorifying God. And all the people that saw it gave praise to God. Above all those voices, he heard the cry for mercy. And the idea is this. We aren't known by our, to, to God. We aren't known by our shortcomings and our limitations, but instead by our faith. Our willingness to cry out to God. But yeah, we compare ourselves to others and we think we're not valuable. We, we, we set some unattainable standard that we can never reach and we don't think we can approach God or God doesn't even want to know us. But I want you to hear this. What activates God's mercy in our lives is not His willingness to dispense it. He's always willing, but it's our willingness to cry out in faith for it. How did this man experience the mercy of Jesus? Because he cried out for it. What keeps us from doing this? What would have kept this man from doing this? It's a fear of being vulnerable, right? Of putting ourselves out there. There's an intimacy of letting people in. Vulnerability is like putting ourselves out there. Stepping out. Making a scene. Making a fool of ourselves sometimes. Because we have needs. We don't want to be rejected, so we don't put ourselves out there. We hide and blend in like everybody else. And here's what that causes in our life. It causes stagnation. We just end up being the same. Every day is the same. Next day is the same. We still, we're out there begging, we're out there needing, we're out there, the same thing that we're always in need of. If we never cry out, we never cry out for mercy, we'll never experience the true mercy of God. So are you you scared to be vulnerable this morning? I am. It's hard to put yourself out there. It's fearful. It can hurt when you put yourself out there. But without being vulnerable, we'll never be known. The last story, and we'll end with this, is in the next chapter of Luke chapter 19, the first few verses, and it's a story that's very popular. Many of us know it in the Bible. It's the story of Zacchaeus. And here's the story. It says this. He, talking about Jesus, again, he's just walking. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in nature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass by. So I want you to understand Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is kind of a hybrid of these first two guys. He's this rich guy. He's got a lot to lose. But he's also kind of a social outcast being a tax collector. A Jewish tax collector. He basically went and collected money for the Romans from other Jews. And usually would steal money as well. And so this was a guy who was like, you're stealing from your own people to give money to the people that are holding us captive. He was not well respected in his neighborhood, in his area. So he's kind of this hybrid of a guy who had a lot to lose and a guy who, you know, was also not well liked in society. And then he does this. He's, I'm not saying short, being short's a bad thing. I'm talking, but he couldn't see Jesus. He's like, he's like in the back of the crowd. Like the, you know, poor guys are in the back of the Macy's Thanksgiving crowd when the floats come by and they can't see behind me. You know, it's like, he's just short. And so he's like, he's got to figure out a way to get there. And so he climbs into this sycamore tree. And sycamore trees were those that, they're big trees that kind of hung over the road. And so literally, 
He's out in the top of this tree in the pathway that Jesus is walking down. This is risky for Zacchaeus. Not just because a limb could break and he could fall, but because literally he's putting himself in the line of sight of Jesus. And Jesus could have done a number of things here. He could have called him out. He could have said, you thief. How dare you? You cheater. I'll bring condemnation on you. Jesus could have judged him in front of everyone right there. He put himself out there. He was vulnerable, like we talked about in the last story. This was risky for him. But what happened? Jesus didn't disappoint. Here's what happens, verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, talking about everyone else, saw it, they all grumbled. For he has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he who is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus again does the unexpected here. He called him by name. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. He invites him to his house, himself to his house, and he connects his life with him. And we don't know what Jesus said. It's not recorded what Jesus shared with Zacchaeus in that moment. Maybe it was just his presence that changed Zacchaeus' heart. But all of a sudden you see this man who had been consumed with cheating and stealing and gathering stuff for him own self. His heart was immediately changed and he is giving and he's letting go and it had cut through everything. His heart changed that day. It's like the Grinch, right? If you've ever seen that, what, what happens to the Grinch's heart when he finally, little, whichever one of the who's reaches out to him and says his heart grew four times that day and there's like, you know, and all of a sudden he's a changed person. He's not a Grinch anymore. He starts giving. Zacchaeus' heart was changed in that moment. His whole perspective on life, faith, purpose, and generosity were changed in that moment that he followed Jesus into his house. Here's the idea that I want us to catch with this. We aren't known by our past perceptions or reputation to God, but instead by his ability to restore us. He doesn't look and define us by our past, even our reputation that maybe we have earned. He looks at the way that he can restore us. And that's what he did. You know, what Zacchaeus did wasn't easy. The thing is, it isn't easy for us either. He could have hung on to his financially comfortable life. He could have hung on to the perceptions and reputation that he had rightfully earned. Said, I'm a thief, I'm a cheat, that's all that I am. He could have hung on to his physical limitations and walked back into his house alone and said, I can't see him, I won't do anything. But instead, Zacchaeus hung on to a branch of a tree right there hanging right in front of the Savior of the world. In that moment, he let go of that tree branch to meet Jesus personally. He let go of everything else that he had been hanging on to as well and grabbed hold of Jesus. Why don't we do this? I think because we struggle with honesty, being honest with who we are. We don't want to let people see the dirty part of our life. We don't want to admit where I'm just not, I'm not a nice person when it comes to this. I struggle with this. I'm greedy. I'm lustful. I'm angry. Whatever. 
We don't like Jesus. Jesus already knows that. The truth is, other people probably already know that about you as well. They're just not telling you that they know it, right? So it's okay to be honest. And when we're not honest, it leads to this. It leads to deception. It leads to these relationships that are deceptive relationships. They're not real. We know people, but we're not really known by people. So I want to ask you this morning. When we looked at these three stories, there's only one, one of these stories that we actually know the person's name. And it's Zacchaeus. And I think we learned Zacchaeus' name because I kind of believe, and it's not found in Scripture there, but it, it wasn't just something. Zacchaeus became an active follower of Christ. People began to know who Zacchaeus was. He hung out with Jesus. His life didn't just change in that moment. He gave his life and committed it to following Christ. Their lives became intertwined. He became known by Jesus and his disciples. Luke, the writer of this book, knew who Zacchaeus was. It wasn't just a story. He'd hung out with him because he'd been following Jesus. He knew him by name because he finally became something more than just being known for something, being known by some people. He became known as a child of God. And so my question to you this morning, what's the biggest issue that's keeping you from being fully known by others and by God? Are you scared of intimacy? Are you a person who's isolated in your life? Maybe you know a lot of people, maybe a lot of people know you, but nobody's gotten into the real you. Maybe you're fearful of being vulnerable, putting yourself out there, actually stepping out and voicing needs that you have in your life and letting other people and God show you mercy. And you're just stagnant in your life and your life is the same over and over again and nothing's changing. Or do you have a problem being honest with who you are? Good and the bad. And because of that, we're deceiving ourselves and others. My prayer for us this morning is that we today would be like Zacchaeus and let go of that tree branch the things we've been hanging on to, and instead hang on to the grace and mercy and the peace that Christ offers if we follow Him. You want to be known? Pursue intimacy. Do you want to be known? Be vulnerable. Do you really want to be known? Be honest with who you are. And God will bring restoration. He'll reward our faith. And He will become part of our life like we've never experienced before. Let's pray together.